The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Lord, we are grateful to be here or to be online here together and ready to listen to your word. We're looking forward, Lord, to what we will discover as we reread perhaps what we've read before as we think about more deeply what we have looked at before and uh, in the years past or perhaps it's been a long time or for some of us we've perhaps never read uh, these minor prophets and so I pray that our brother will have a good facility to bring us into the text and help us to understand what it says and what it means for the original readers as well as what it, uh, how it applies for us as modern readers. Lord, we beseech Thee for this this morning. I pray also an intercession for those that are hurting, those who have difficulties today. We think of those who have lost loved ones even in the last day or two or this past week. And we ask that as they grieve, they will turn their grief to, toward You and look to You for comfort and sustenance and guidance instead of looking inward to themselves or outward to other human sources or psychology or things like that, but rather to look upward to the God who made them, to the Savior who has provided redemption for them and would receive them gladly if they would come to him in faith, if they haven't already. If they have, we pray that the God, you, the God of all comfort, you would be their portion and comfort their souls today. We pray for peace and calm. We pray that you'd bring a spirit of, of just uh, ease, an atmosphere of uh, just a relaxed tension compared to what has been in these last weeks and months. And Lord, we pray for those two that are ill, many still across the globe with this virus which has uh, jumped from the animal kingdom into the human race. Lord, how we pray that you would uh, cause it to subside very soon. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother James. Thank you. Good morning and welcome back to our study in the book of Amos. In our last session, we were in chapter 7, and we will return to chapter 7 today. First, I want to give a quick recap of where we have been. We, when we looked at chapters 1 through 6, we saw that the prophet Amos delivered eight messages or eight oracles of judgment. And that those were against those nations first. The first six were against those who were surrounding Israel. And then the prophet Amos talked about Judah, and then he lowered the boom on Israel. We remember how there came to be two kingdoms, the northern and the southern, that when Solomon died, their kingdom was united. After his death, it became divided. And so we have the northern, which is called Israel, the southern, which is called Judah, and also we refresh our thinking about this man Amos and that he 
went to Israel. He went north from Judah, which is where he was living and making his living. And he went and he bore all of these messages. One of the things that I mentioned last time is that we noticed a difference or a change when we get to chapter 7 in the way that Amos presents what he has to say. That he had been saying, thus says the Lord. And he had been saying that repeatedly. But now we see a shift where he says, the Lord showed me. And so we say now, what we are observing is that he's changing from a form of oracle or narrative, and he's using one with reference to vision or visions. And so the Lord, what the Lord showed me. We spent some time talking about the plum line metaphor. We noticed that in the first two of the visions that are given in chapter 1, that following those visions, the prophet Amos interceded by prayer. And the first one had to do with the locust. And what Amos was seeing in his vision is that the locusts coming in and eating all of the crop. It says after the king's mowings, the second harvest was necessary in order for the people to have food to eat. And if this vision was to become reality, as Amos was seeing it, then the people will be devastated. They will have famine and all the suffering that comes with it. And that got to Amos. And he went to the Lord with intercessory prayer. And we talked some about that last time, about the importance of prayer. And so the Lord said, well, I'm not going to do that. But then he reports a second vision. And this one has to do with fire. And if this one was to come into fruition, it also would be devastating for the people because a fire would be consuming everything. Devastating. And so Amos interceded again. And he said, Lord, Jacob, he's a small. Please, spread them. And the Lord did. Now we notice in the, with regard to the locusts, Amos starts out by saying, O oh Lord God, forgive. And we don't want to lose sight of that. Because the prophet was clearly cognizant of the need for forgiveness. And without the forgiveness, there is no hope. And so that's where those were. But then in verse number 7, it says, and I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 together here. 
Thus he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The plumb line. To me, the plumb line is a very powerful metaphor. And I've done a lot of thinking about that. And when I was considering what I would present and how for this particular message, I began to wonder if that may, maybe someone hasn't seen how a plumb line works. I tried to describe it. So I gave a description of what it is. But then I decided, rather than giving a, what I call a visual description of a plumb line, what if I gave a, a visible illustration of a plumb line and how it works? And that's what I decided to do. So, you're going to see a wall, and you're going to see a plumb line. Now, as I said, the plumb line, the purpose is to be sure that the, that the wall is perpendicular. Now, Brother Monty knows exactly what that's all about. I should have had him build the wall for me, perhaps. But I think you'll get the picture from what I am going to show you here. But the idea, so, and one of the things I mentioned before is that if, if a building is out of plumb, maybe the settlement and has caused it to shift, then the builders may be able to jack up that one side and, and get the thing to be in plumb again. But when it gets to a certain point, trying to get it back into plumb is just going to cause the thing to just topple down. And so there's nothing better to do than just to knock it all the way down. And so the idea then here, we, if we think about the wall that I'm going to show and the line, plumb line, if you think about the plumb line as the standard and as the wall as the behavior, and so what the Lord is saying is by putting a plumb line in the midst of his people, he said, I'm going to be looking at their behavior measured against a standard. And it's a perfect standard. Now, in their context, the standard was the Mosaic law. But we're not under the Mosaic law in the way that they were. Now, but we do have a Bible that are 66 books that we are responsible for. And so that sounds like a daunting task for us. Now let me show you the visible illustration. 
Now, this is my wall. And I don't know if you can see this orange cord, but that's my plumb line. Now, if you look at this, can you tell if that's perpendicular? Maybe. Is it? So I want you to consider this. The tilt of the wall. The naked eye may not see. But the plumb line will show if there any if any lean there be. Let me just say that again. The tilt of the wall. The naked eye may not see, but the plumb line will show if any lean there be. Now look at this illustration here. This is my plumb line. Now, in as much as a plumb line is adjacent to the wall, but as the wall starts to lean, you see what happens. Can you see what's happening? Now, we know, even if the eye and the naked eye can't see clearly, by, by this plumb line, we know that wall is leaning. Now, in terms of the illustration that I was given, I, the idea is with Israel. God says, I put the plumb line in the midst of my people, and I'm looking. How far are they? The intercession prayer might bring it straight up again, but it's leaning. So one of the things I said before is, and I just said it now as well, that once that wall gets beyond a certain point, it's beyond recovery. It's going to topple. But this thing, this line, it, it's, it's going to be true. It's going to tell us what the real situation is. And so if we want to know whether, how we measure up, we've got to first have the proper standard that we're looking at and then measure according to it. So, so that's an illustration here in terms of what we see, what the Lord is doing here by bringing in the plumb line. But another reason why I wanted to bring the plumb line, and I'm going to say a few more things here, is because when we get to the next section in verses 10 through 17, we see something that is a bit different than what we saw with the first three visions. In fact, at the conclusion of the third vision about the plumb line, we move into a section that doesn't reference a vision. So I call that an interlude. Now, some people have proposed that, that this section is out of place because of the change in what the content is here. I don't subscribe to that view. But before we go too far afield here, I wanted to suggest that when we think about ourselves and so we say, okay, so we have the plumb line, we have the standard, what are we to do? 
And I'm going to skip ahead to one of the verses that I had here for, for ourselves now. We can think about it in this kind of a way. I said, we have 66 books. Israel had the Mosaic law, and God was looking at them, and he said, well, you don't measure up. And, of course, obviously, in many ways, we don't either. Individually, we don't. As a church, in many ways, we don't. So what are we to do? I want to suggest one thing here. Now, obviously, there are plenty of scriptures that we can draw from to give us help in how to manage in the midst of the situation in which we find ourselves. But I just want to draw attention to one place here. If you turn to the book of James or just listen as I read from there, it says this. In verse number 18, of his own will begot he us by the word of truth, that we might be, be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, we use the word forgive. He says here, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And then it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is a, like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, and he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now here is where I want us to focus in, this next portion here. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in his deed or in what he does. So I brought that because we can say we have these 66 books, but we need to look in it. We need to look into the scriptures. We need to. But just flipping it open every now and then and reading verse 2 here and there is it, it's, it's really not sufficient for what we need to do in order to be able to, to be plumb with a standard. Just doing that a few verses here and there is, is not going to get the job done. And so James says here, look into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein. Those are active verbs. Those are the operative actors, looking in and continuing. And so we don't want to neglect uh, to do that. So the plumb line, as a powerful metaphor, to consider what God required of his ancient people Israel and what he requires of us as believers now.
in verse number 9, still in chapter 7 of Amos. It says, the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with a sword against the house of Jeroboam. These are some strong words that the prophet is speaking here. But these should not have been surprising words because we said they have the Mosaic law. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, in verses 49 and 50, it says, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young. That is a conditional that if they didn't do what they were supposed to do, God was going to do this in response to their choice. And so God had already spoken. Now, mind you, for the audience that Amos had, these were hard words. And so now we see in the next section here, opposition to the messenger. Opposition. First we see here Amaziah the priest. And let me just read that first part of that before I make too many comments on it. In verse 10 of Amos chapter 7, Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. So first, with this accusation, Amos, Amaziah the priest says to Jeroboam, has conspired against you, the king. Now that's, a, that's enough to get somebody's head to, to be separated from their body, conspiring against the king. But that was an allegation. And then he says, the land is not able to bear his words. So he's suggesting that what the prophet is saying, that if it catches on with the people, it's going to cause a real problem. And so he may be suggesting to the king that if you don't deal with Amos, he's going to cause an insurrection because of what he's saying. That's the, the impetus of what is being expressed there. And so he's bringing this serious charge. And then he says, Amos said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. And then he says, and Israel shall, be, shall surely be led away captive from their own land. This is the message that Amaziah the priest of Bethel is sending to the king Jeroboam, number two. Now this is very interesting. Bethel. Priest of Bethel. What does Bethel mean? House of God? Bethel should have been a place where proper worship. But you know what happened with Jeroboam I 
at the division of the kingdom. He set up worship places, one in Bethel, which is in the southern part of Israel, and one up in Dan, which is up in the northern part of Israel. And this is what he said. He said, his fear is that if the people go to Jerusalem to worship the way they're supposed to, then he was concerned that they would align themselves with Rehoboam and then that he would lose his, his place because they were turned against him. Now, that's an interesting thing because essentially what he's saying is, I'm afraid that if the people start doing what's right, I'm going to be displaced. I'm going to be out if they do right. Obviously, he didn't say it that way, but that's essentially the message that he had. If they do the right thing, I'm going to be out. So he set up these two places for worship and put a golden calf in those things. And then he said to them, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. You talk about idolatry. And so that's what the people were doing. So this Amaziah was a priest, and we surmise that he would have been the chief priest, which would mean that he was not speaking merely for himself, but he was speaking as a leader, which was promoting the idea that was embraced by more than himself, about the leadership in the wicked system that they had. And so that's what he said. Now, as to the specifics, he said, well, Amos said, Jeroboam is going to die by the sword. Well, we won't quibble too much about that. Some people quibble about that. But Amos did say in what's recorded here that the, the Lord said, I will rise with a sword against the house of Jeroboam. So we're not going to quibble, quibble about what he said specifically in that particular thing. Now, the next portion of this is in verse number 12. So he's first he sent this message to the king, and it's designed to get the prophet in trouble with the king. And then he says to Amos, he issues an edict. And he says, go, you seer. Flee to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, there prophesy. Now, this is an interesting thing that he's saying here. And I want us to take note of that. The word seer that's being used here is a translation of a Hebrew word, which could be translated as prophet. But when I look at the translation of this word in the King James Version, and I think I saw, I don't see the note right here, I think I wrote it, but it said that it was used to translate the word seer, like a stargazer or somebody who sees visions. But the word was used like 31 times for translated as seer in our translation, and one time translated as prophet. Now, I notice in a number of commentaries they say, well, seer means prophet, and that's okay, but I think, it's, I think this is a, 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 a snob against uh, 
Amos in the way that he said it. And there's another reason to think that too. And, and we'll get to that just in a second here. So he said, you seer. But then the next part of what he says, now go and make your living with these prophecies in Judah. Go back there and tell them these things. And then uh, don't be bothered to, to tell us about these kinds of things. So what he's doing then is implying that Amos, shall we say, is in the ministry for the money, that he's in the, he's in the business for the money. Now, I know we sometimes wonder about some of our contemporaries, and you see headlines saying how some of these folks are multi-billionaires and all these kinds of things, and well, that's between them and the Lord. I'm not here to cast judgment on them and what they're doing. But for Amos, it was not about the money. But for many others, it was. <clears throat> now, I was going to read, and I will read a, a verse here from, let's see, if I have it written down correctly here. from the book of Micah. Now I'm smiling because when I started this study, I kept saying Micah when I should have been saying Amos. I'm going to take the risk of saying Micah and then go back to Amos after I read this verse from Micah. Now in Micah chapter 3, in verse 5, it says, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. That's the kind of prophet that Amaziah the priest was accusing of Amos of being, that kind. He's in it for the money. That's what he was suggesting. And so he made that case. And so he continues with his edict. Now, I don't see given here in the text what authority he had to, to issue this edict to Amos to say, go, leave. But he said in verse 13 of chapter 7 of Amos, never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary. It is the royal residence. So he's issuing this. Now, I can surmise that he may have delegated authority from King Jeroboam to, to say exactly what he's saying. He may very well have that. I will grant him that. And so he's laid his allegations, he's laid his charges. And now Amos gets to respond. And what does Amos say? Here's what Amos says in verse number 14. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep herder, or some think that he was a, a breeder of sheep, which means he was in a business of sort, 
anatendera of sycamore fruit, or you might see in your translation as sycamore figs. And I read that in the tendon of those sycamore figs, that there was an insect that infested those things, and that they had to put a hole in the top of it in order for the insects to be able to get out, so that the, so that the thing would become edible. And if they didn't do that, it wouldn't be edible. So that was one thing. But then another thing, too, is that before it ripened, to put a slit in that fig so that it would be sweet. I like sweet figs. I don't know what a sour fig would be like. But what I'm, I'm saying that to say this, that when Amos said that he said, I had an occupation. I had a, a livelihood. I had a way of supporting my life. I didn't need to do this for the money. I'm not in it for the money. If it was just about money, I wouldn't need this. And he could probably say, I was much better off materially before I ever came here. I didn't need this. So he's not in it for himself. That's the thing. So he was a busy man. He was occupied in what he was doing. And so he's rebuking or he is debunking the, the, the allegation that is being made against him. And now he gives the positive side of it. So the negative side is, I already have an occupation. I'm not doing it for money. Now here's the positive side. The Lord took me as I followed the flock. The Lord said to me, go. Prophesy to my people, Israel, my people. That just continually impresses me. Because as we saw with that meme, how far out of line they were, and God says, my people, those are the people I want you to speak to. They have done great wickedness, but, though, but they are my people. He didn't say not my people. He said these are my people, but they have done great wickedness, and they're going to be judged for that. And so he said, it is of the Lord. The Lord called me to do what I'm doing. And so now Amos is in a situation where the choice is to obey man or to obey God. And there's no third way about it. It's clear in his situation here. Amaziah, the priest, or the chief priest of Bethel, said, go away, don't come again, we don't want to hear that message. You're doing it just for the money. And Amos said, no. The Lord told me, he called me, he touched me. It's his mission that I'm on, not my own. And therefore, I'm going to do it. And so he pressed on. But that's not the end of the section. Let's read on. In verse number 17, in Amos again. Therefore, thus says the Lord, 
Your wife, now he's talking to Amaziah, the priest. Your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by a survey line. You shall die in a defiled land. And Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. Now, I want to get back now. I talked about the plumb line. And so we can see how the plumb line applies to two individuals here and to a nation, the nation Israel. As the plumb line was applied to Amos, this is what you see. The wall is plumb. But when applied to Amaziah, is this. He's near to the point of collapse. And it's going to happen because it's beyond the point of repair. So the plumb line applied to these individuals. And so to me, that's, that connects the prior section with this one. And so it doesn't seem out of place to me. It doesn't seem as if it doesn't belong. See, it's, to me, it seems like it's an illustration in, in clear form of what the prophet has just said in his last, uh, in that vision, the third vision about that plumb line. And, of course, with Israel, with these kinds of words that are being said here about Israel, there is no doubt that, that Israel is going to go plop down, right? Because they, they were just too far. They were too far, too far out of alignment, too far out of alignment. In some ways, that reminds me of what we say sometimes or review sometimes when we come to the Lord's table in the First Corinthians 11 about observing of the Lord's table and how the there were some people who came, but they didn't observe the table properly. Or shall we say they disrespected the table. And there were consequences. And it seemed to me that the consequences was, were progressive. Some were weak. Some were sickly. And some died. Those are talking about, that's talking about people like us. It's not talking about the condition of salvation or not but it's talking about how we stand in reference to, shall we say, a plumb line. The tilt of the wall to the naked eye. The naked eye. The tilt of the wall, the naked eye may not see. But the plumb line will show if there any lean be, or if there be any lean. 
the plumb line. It reminds me of something that one of my law professors used to like to say. If you don't know the material, the exam is going to expose you. <laughs> That's what he would say. If you don't know the material, the exam is going to expose you. If you're not plumb, the plumb line is going to expose you, expose us. So what do we do? Go back to James and we say, look into the word and continue therein. And so we go to the Lord and we ask him. We remember that Amos prayed a prayer of intercession by beginning with asking for forgiveness. We can go to our knees like that. But we recognize and know that we need the help of the Lord every step of the way. And if we were to sit down and try to log out the things that we see ourselves to be not measuring up, as it were, my, my notebook couldn't fill what I need to write about. This is almost full. But I have a lot of notebooks. A lot of them are filled and a lot of them are empty. But even if I feel all the ones that are empty, I think I better try to spend my time looking into the law and continuing therein and asking for the Lord's help. That's what I commend to us. We're going to close with a prayer. Our Father in heaven, we have come again to look into the word, the revelation of God that has been made available to us. And what a blessing it is that you chose to have that to be the case for us. So now we are asking for your help. We're asking for your help because we know that of ourselves, we are prone to wander and we are prone to stray. We are prone to move away from the things of the God whom we love. And so we ask for your help. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus, we ask with thanks. Amen.